0: The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jarami, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a show that covers national breaking and headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview a high-profile public figure. In each show, I also highlight an exceptional company, organization, charity, or even an individual that does great work in the community. After the headlines, I have two great interviews for you. The first one is with Congresswoman Katie Porter from Orange County, followed by my interview with entertainment mogul Larry Nehmer, who is the co-founder of E! Entertainment and the president and CEO of Metton Global Entertainment Group about his extraordinary career in his advocacy for the Make-A-Wish Foundation.
1: And would you consider, will you consider a national mandate that people need to wear masks? No, I want people to have a certain freedom and I don't believe in that, no. And I don't agree with the statement that if everybody wear a mask, everything disappears.
0: Let's go over some headlines this morning. President Donald Trump called Dr. Anthony Fauci a little bit of an alarmist on Sunday as the coronavirus pandemic worsens and the nation's top infectious diseases expert urges elected officials to implement more health safety measures. For example, Florida's health officials reported 12,478 new cases of COVID-19 and 87 new deaths on Sunday according to data released by the Florida Department of Health. In Los Angeles County, health officials on Thursday reported the country's highest one-day total of new coronavirus cases since the pandemic began. The county reported 4,592 new cases in its Thursday update along with 59 additional deaths. That broke the single-day record which was set just earlier last week. According to an ABC News Washington Post poll, Vice President Joe Biden leads President Donald Trump 55% to 40% among registered voters. Biden's advantage in the polls is most evident in the suburbs where he is earning a historic amount of support for a Democrat. Biden is up by 52% to 43% margin among suburban voters. Congressman John Robert Lewis, who survived a brutal beating by police during the landmark 1965 march in Selma, Alabama, to become a towering figure of the civil rights movement and a longtime U.S. congressman has died. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced his death in a statement. Today, America mourns the loss of one of the greatest heroes of American history, Congressman John Lewis. The conscience of Congress That's what the California Democrats said. And President Obama said in a statement that the civil rights icon will continue, even in his passing, to serve as a beacon in America's journey towards a more perfect union. The country Azerbaijan attacked Armenia under the cover of the global pandemic. Despite the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and UN's global ceasefire appeal, which Armenia has endorsed and Azerbaijan refused to sign, Azerbaijan has launched a military offensive against Armenia starting on July 12th, deploying tanks, heavy artillery, and drones against civilians and military targets alike. Congressional condemnation of Azerbaijan's latest attacks against Armenia uh, continue to grow today, including from Congressman Adam Schiff, Congressman Frank Pallone and Brad Sherman as well as Senator Ed Markey. Let's, Let's get blunt.
2: Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt.
0: For today's Let's Get Blunt, I want to talk about the power of oil, money and the military industrial complex over what's right, what's just, and what's fair in this world. Azerbaijan, backed by Turkey, has attacked Armenia and Artsakh in the last week, a very heavy military attack targeting civilians. And although countries throughout the world have condemned this, and many members of Congress have condemned this attack, I don't think that the world and certain powers are doing enough. And it comes down to a few things. This excuse that Turkey uh, has been given for many years, and that he, they are some sort of a, a NATO ally, although they don't act like it, and not wanting to offend Turkey on the Azerbaijan side, you know they have new oil in the Caspian, and many countries are benefiting from that, so they don't want to offend Azerbaijan for that. Also, Azerbaijan turns around and takes all the money from the oil sale and buys. Military equipment in the billions from several powerful countries. So, this scenario is created where so many people see what is happening in the southern Caucasus Azerbaijan's aggression and Turkey's aggression as if the Armenian genocide wasn't enough, but they're not doing enough about it. And it's not a secret that these elements, oil, Uh, military industrial complex and big money and geopolitical realities play a big role but we should still talk about it be blunt about it and hope that uh, we can sort of bring more attention to it in this fast-changing environment that we have with so much going on so there it is I'm blunt about the abuse of Azerbaijan and Turkey and the blind eye that certain powers, countries, and individuals have for what they're doing. Let's get blind. Congresswoman Katie Porter represents California's 45th congressional district. Before being elected to Congress, Congresswoman Porter spent nearly two decades taking on the special interests that dominate American politics and drown out the voices of working families as California's independent watchdog against the banks, she made sure that the big banks that had cheated Orange County homeowners followed through on their promise to help affected families get back on their feet. As a consumer finance expert, Congresswoman Reporter has also helped Congress to pass the original Credit Card Act in 2009, which enacted federal protections from abusive credit card fees. Congresswoman Reporter is a member of the Financial Services Committee and, Oversight and Reform Committee. She is also a member of the following caucuses. Congressional Asian Pacific American Caucus, Congressional Diabetes Caucus, Congressional LGBTQ Equality Caucus, Congressional Mental Health Caucus, Congressional Progressive Caucus, Congressional Task Force on Alzheimer's Disease, Future Forum, Gun Violence Prevention Task Force, Sustainable Energy and Environment Coalition. Congresswoman Porter, thank you for being on The blunt Post with Vic. Appreciate your time. How are you doing?
2: Just fine. Having a good day.
0: Yes, you are probably processing all that's happening every couple hours. It seems like we have breaking news about COVID-19 and, and other you know major things that are happening around the country. But I wanted to first ask you your perspective about COVID-19 and where we are today. Of course, things could change in a few days, but What's your take on what's happening with COVID-19, this resurgence and such?
2: Well, we're definitely seeing a spike in cases here in Orange County and across many parts of Southern California, and that's a real concern for my constituents, and so you know, I think we are continuing to try to repeat the best public health guidance that we can give to people, which is to stay home as much as possible, um, to wear a mask, to wash their hands, um, to disinfect high-touch surfaces. And I, you know, I, I wear a mask. I encourage everybody to wear a mask. Um, it's both the the law in many areas, and it's also the the right thing to do to protect others and yourself. Um, but I think the stay at home part is also worth really repeating.
0: Absolutely. And speaking of, you are, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're the only young single mom uh, congresswoman that has school age children, and we have back to school coming up soon. Correct?
2: Yeah, I'm the only mom of um, young kids, the only single mother of young kids to serve in the U.S. Congress right now, and it is a challenge to try to figure out. Um, how we're gonna balance continuing to do our jobs with not having school start in the fall. Um, And we really need to be making plans. Um, I've seen this over and over again in my short time in Congress, where we don't spend enough time thinking ahead to problems that are clearly on the horizon. And so we should have been laying the groundwork in mid-March about how we could best keep kids safe while continuing their education and having lost some valuable time, Um, we need to really pick up the pace in terms of both providing funding for our schools um, to allocate the resources that they need to figure out either how they're going to open, whether it's fully, partially, um, in a hybrid model. Um, We are not going to be able to get our economy up and running until we have our kids back in school.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And some schools start in late August so there really isn't a lot of time in relation to the entire country as well as your own district in orange county how do you see this roll out best what would be your sort of blue sky for kids for safety the parents and all well
2: i think it starts with science-based research Um, and continuing to have as much clarity and guidance from the Center for Disease Control as we can about how this virus can spread and what are the most effective ways. Um, I think it's really doing that advanced planning. Um, You mentioned that schools usually start in the fall. My kids here in Orange County um, go to a public school here in Irvine that is on a year-round calendar. Their first day of school was to have been July 15th. And we were told that it was going to start, and then a few days later we were told it was not. Um, and that is the kind of turmoil that makes it really difficult uh, for kids and their and their psychological well-being, uh, but also for parents who are trying to juggle um, daycare. So we, we can't open the schools with a magic wand. We can't do it just by saying that it should be so. Instead, we need to actively plan and have – um, pathways of communication between school officials, parents and families, um, and public health officials. And I, you know, I think there's been so much focus on getting restaurants open and, and getting bars open and, and these things um, that we haven't really put up getting our schools open as front and center in that careful science-based way that we needed to to make sure that kids are safe.
0: Yeah, and it's proving that we were a little bit premature opening bars and clubs and even restaurants, um, it seems now. Uh, However, we are not seeing much uh, cooperation from the White House, from our president. He, He seems to be adamant about opening all the schools and kids going back to school.
2: Well, like I said, you, you can't make something so just by saying it. And I think that's something that you know, this coronavirus has again and again and again made clear um, with regard to the president's actions. You can't simply say um, that, that, it, that it's gone away or that we're, we're, you know, no one's getting sick. Or this doesn't, the, the virus doesn't respond to those kinds of tweets or ultimatums um, from the president. Instead, what we have to do is do the hard work of trying to think ahead about what are the ways that we can reduce risk. And one of the things we could be doing, for example, is figuring out how we can make more use of outdoor classrooms, um, particularly in areas that have good weather and in this early fall period where the weather may be good in many parts of the country. um, We just haven't done that work um, and haven't provided those resources to figure out what we're gonna do. And I, I think even if we continue with emergency distance learning I don't I have not seen the federal government step up either from the Department of Education um, or elsewhere trying to provide resources to schools to help them meet the challenges of distance learning.
0: Yeah especially schools uh, public schools that have chronically been underfunded as it is and now we have this major pandemic and we seem to be very unprepared. (laughs) This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and you're listening to my interview with Congresswoman Katie Porter from Orange County, California. One of the ways that you have been very um, instrumental in trying to get people prepared and pushing this forward is you've been an advocate for COVID-19 testing for everyone, uh, and you've been successful at that. Are you happy with, with, with how things have turned out?
2: Well, I asked the question back in mid-March, um, it was just as I think a lot of people were beginning to realize the seriousness um, of this pandemic, and it was about a week before Governor Newsom uh, made his initial set of public health orders. What I was really focused on is making sure that nobody is deterred from getting tested for fear of the cost. And so the CDC director uh, um, questioning him and pushing him, pointing him to existing law, That would permit the federal government to pay the costs of those tests. Um, He finally, you know, he relented. He said, well, you're a very good questioner, so I'll say yes. Uh But I wasn't trying to get him to say yes. I was trying to get him to actually do the thing that is to actually make sure that testing was free and congress went ahead after that exchange i had with cdc director congress went ahead and mandated on a bipartisan basis free testing in the cares act which the president signed in the law and right. yet the trump administration is allowing health insurance companies to get away with charging people for coronavirus tests. So I've been continuing to push on this. Uh, three months after CDC Director Redfield promised me um, on June 15th, I had to send him uh, you know a letter because they've yet to follow through on that promise of free testing. And I think there are a lot of people who are worried that if they get tested, um, it's supposed to be free, but it won't actually be free, that there'll be a copay, that maybe the testing site isn't in their network, that maybe the test won't be deemed medically necessary by their insurance companies. There are too many loopholes still.
0: Yeah, the wealthiest and greatest country of all time to be stuck on this after so many months it's just ridiculous. And our president being more concerned about insurance companies, uh, shareholders than the public, I can't fathom that this is this continues to happen. You still um, have to fight this good fight for testing. I want to, you know, that sort of brings us to the Patients Before Profits Act. I believe it's um, you are the, the main supporter of this. If, uh-huh. if you may just share with our listeners a little bit about it.
2: Yeah, the, the goal of this legislation, the Patients Before Profits Act, is to stop insurance cover- companies from reducing coverage during a pandemic. And what we, we do not want anyone to be um, afraid to go seek treatment or care, um, especially during a public health crisis. And we've seen some evidence of um, companies taking advantage of the coronavirus to actually push doctors out of network to, to um, reduce reimbursement rates and things like that. Um, and so the last thing that families need right now is surprise medical bills. And so I'm standing up against these inappropriate changes in health care coverage. Now more than ever, people need to know that their health insurer is going to do what they have been paid to do. That Those premiums that they've paid in case they ever got sick are going to be there to give them coverage um, if they do get the coronavirus.
0: Yeah, because some of them are really good at changing the rules every few days, uh, whether it's pharmacy services or just medical care, doctor visits, etc. They keep sending out. uh, And and the
2: health insurance industry is is actually because so much routine care um, and primary care, um, regularly scheduled visits actually have been postponed or delayed because of coronavirus, the health insurance industry is not in financial trouble there's simply no reason that they cannot continue to and should not be um, actually improving their conduct with how they deal with patients and providers during this time rather than putting profits first which is what we're seeing
0: yeah i'm sure your constituents and just everyone every american is is thankful for that we're we're lucky to be in california to have members of congress such as yourself uh, others who are very strong Supporters and, and advocates for us, like Congressman Schiff and Congresswoman Maxine Waters, and such. Do you think that we've, you know, California has set the tone and has been a leader throughout COVID 19? Are you happy with where we are now as a state since um, there are some spikes all over the state in certain counties?
2: Yeah, look, I, th- I think we're going to continue to see uh, kind of starts and stops, and I think that you know, when the governor made clear that we were going to be having a phased reopening, one of the things that Governor Newsom did I think is is try to help people understand that it's it's not a charge forward. It's 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 maybe one step forward, then a second step forward, then we have to take one step back and that's really what I think California is trying to do. So I think that the way he laid this out in his efforts to explain this to the public that this is not a, a binary. Um, the economy isn't even isn't either open or closed. We are not either at risk or safe. But instead, we're trying to mitigate risk, reduce risk. We're trying to you know provide jobs and and help for businesses while at the same time we're trying to balance public health and. And I, I, you know, I think the governor has done an admirable job of doing that. And I think we are going to need to see some places, you know, I've been reminding people today when I've been talking to them, stay home, right? Um, you know, so much has been made of the mass controversy. One of the things that's getting a little bit lost in the message is it's just if you don't need to go out, don't. And, and that's really the very best protection that you can you can do. The virus can't get in your house unless
0: you go out and get it. Yeah, what fascinates me, and it's a little off topic, is, you know, I've heard people on TV, I've never really spoken to one, who've, who've said that wearing a mask is, is an infringement on our constitutional rights, and, you know, government can't impose this on us. Yet, typically the same people are, are, are so-called uh, pro-life, which I think it's anti-choice. It just fascinates me that uh, one can dictate what a woman can do with her body, but yet wouldn't wear a mask to protect someone else.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I think the reality we all need to understand is that the virus, and the, you know, we all may face different risks from the virus depending on who we are and other conditions we have, um, but our entire community is at risk by this virus, and so we each have a responsibility to step up. Um, This is not about people's personal choice. This is about the fact that their choices affect others. Mm -hmm. Um, And their choice can, you know, one person's choice can make another person sick. Um, And so, you know, if you're you're not in the mood to wear a mask today, um, stay home um, that day, Um, right? I think there's some alternatives for people. And I I think that that's really, we all should be staying home as much as we can in the first
0: place. Indeed, well said. (laughs) This is the Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and you're listening to my interview with Congresswoman Katie Porter from Orange County, California. Um, Congresswoman, about students, you've also been advocating for the COVID-19 Perkins Loan Relief Act, which uh, eases the loan payments for students. Uh, where are you with that and what's happening?
2: Yes, provide some student loan relief um, and trying to pause the need to make payments. Mm -hmm. Um, But those borrowers who take out Perkins loans, um, which is a government loan program aimed at lower income families, they were left out of the relief, and I I hope very much that this was unintentional, that this was a you know a, an oversight. But those those nearly two million borrowers who have Perkins loans, um, they were left out of previous relief, and so the, mm-hmm. the COVID nineteen Perkins loan relief act would level the playing field. It would give all student loan borrowers uh, the ability to halt making payments um, on their loans until October, and you know. I think as we see you know, the job market continue to be unstable, um, people graduating and, and into a very, very difficult job market, um, it's gonna be important that we
0: don't allow the pandemic to exacerbate the existing student debt crisis. Yeah, it makes total sense. And um, I think today we heard that embassies are not going to extend visas for students attending universities in the states if their university offers classes online which is it doesn't really it doesn't help all students because some some classes are offered online and some others aren't so it's become a little bit controversial how do you feel about that
2: for students who have come here to study, um, they're here on student visas and they have every intention of returning to the classroom as soon as it is safe and they are able to do so. And it's up to each school um, to, to try to determine can they bring students back to campus safely um, and you know, In some cases, depending on the type of study and, and what classes the student's taking, it may be safer to deliver that education online in the short term. But I think all of our campuses have the goal of being able to reopen as soon as they can do so in a safe way. Um, and there's no sense to punish and create all this chaos in our university system um, by having this rule about online courses
0: yeah yeah absolutely Congresswoman porter just one last uh, topic i wanted to discuss because i think it's it's so admirable that you are you speak so freely about uh, mental health something that our society doesn't want to talk about it's often just sort of a passive thing and there's been attempts made to stop the mental health pandemic act but you have done a great deal to make sure that the mental health of americans uh, in general, I mean, before COVID19, but also through COVID-19, whether it's anxiety, depression, panic attacks, et cetera, that that too is addressed on a national level. Uh, what, what can you share with us about that?
2: Yeah, the reality is that mental health has been a, a growing concern. Um, I think we've partly gotten better at identifying it and hopefully reducing um, any sense of stigma um, around it. But we are seeing worsening problems even before this pandemic came along. So the number of suicides in California has grown by more than 50% in the last two decades. and many of these problems have only been deepened because of the pandemic so I just want to remind everyone who's listening that if you're feeling overwhelmed or anxious depressed or sad during this time you are not alone um there we are seeing some historic surges and issues um, like depression and anxiety and so make sure that you're reaching out and you're getting help um one of the things that I'm really proud of is the way that our mental health uh, health care providers have transitioned to telemedicine. Um, Um, And I've had many conversations with them about how effective they are finding that, being able to see patients very frequently while keeping them safe. Um, But look, the law here, the Affordable Care Act more than 10 years ago, promised that mental health services would be treated as equal to other kinds of health care as to physical health. And yet, that is not what's happening. And so we need to improve existing laws to make sure that health insurers do what they said they would do do what Congress mandates, which is cover mental health in the same way with the same co-pays, the same depth of provider network, um, but they do physical health. And and that's why I've introduced the Mental Health Parity Compliance Act. And then I also have another bill, um, the Stopping the Mental Health Pandemic Act, which is gonna increase the funding to our nonprofits, our state and local governments to help meet the behavioral health needs that we're seeing spike because of the spike in coronavirus cases.
0: Wow, that's that's amazing. Thank you for that. Before we go, Congresswoman, is there anything that I didn't cover, mention that you'd like to share, perhaps call to action or anything you'd like to add?
2: No, I just want to ask that everyone you know, it's, it's, this is a hard time. We all have our good days and our bad days, um, but that everyone really try to take extra special care of themselves during this time, um, to be as healthy as they can um, and follow public health safety guidelines um, and, and create as much community as you can in this moment, mm-hmm. um, because this is something where this is this is scary and this is isolating. Um, and make sure you reach out to people and, and let them know how you're feeling. So we do a lot of listening of our, to our constituents always but even more so during this pandemic that's something my office and i have been working to do is it's really trying to understand how people are feeling and how they're doing both financially and in terms of their health during this time so i would just ask that everyone take good care of themselves and be kind to each other
0: i like that create a community very important well congresswoman porter thank you so much for being on the blunt post with vic thank you for your time and uh, good luck out there thank you so much be safe you too. Appreciate it. Bye bye. That was the immensely popular Congresswoman Katie Porter from Orange County. Thank you, Congresswoman, for your time. The Blunt Post with Vic. Larry Neymar is the president and CEO of Metton Global Entertainment Group. An entertainment industry veteran with close to 50 years' professional experience in cable television, live events, and new media. Larry is a founding partner of MEDIN Global Entertainment Group, a venture created to develop and distribute entertainment content and media specifically for Chinese-speaking audiences in China and abroad. Larry is also the co-founder of E! Entertainment Television. Larry's son overcame an illness several years ago, during which... Larry was introduced to Make a Wish Foundation. Since, Larry has been an advocate for the nonprofit organization that helps fulfill wishes for terminally ill children between ages of 2 and 17 years old. So, Larry, thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic. How are you and welcome?
1: Thank you. I'm doing uh, fine, holding up and playing safe and doing all that stuff, but you know, generally okay.
0: Yeah, I assume that you are in LA right now?
1: Yeah, I'm in LA. We canceled all of our production around the world. Uh, so I got back to LA in January and uh, been here ever since and supposed to do a little bit of vacation uh, in Europe in the summer but canceled that. and So here I am.
0: Yeah, we're all kind of uh, living life on life's terms, if you will. You got it. It's making uh, decisions for us. Well, I, I want to focus some of, some of the time today on, on your connection to the Make-A-Wish Foundation, but I do want to talk about your immense, immense uh, successes and your accomplishments, as well as what you're doing currently. Well, you co-founded E! Entertainment Television, uh, then you sold it, so, and on to different things, and now you are a founding partner of Metin Global Entertainment Group. And it's a sort of a American-Chinese-based uh, media company that produces content uh, mostly for the Chinese audiences. Did I say that correctly?
1: Yeah. We, we you know, all the stuff that we do through Meiton Global typically has to have the word China in the description. So we either do stuff for China in Mandarin language or we do stuff about China or in China uh, that we do for English language. Uh, you know channels such as we just uh in the middle of shooting a series called explore china where one of my old hosts for me kind of goes around china looking uh more at the offbeat stuff as opposed to the historical monuments and things
0: like that okay that's very cool i was going to actually going to ask you about that so obviously when COVID 19 hit china was the first country and that sort of threw a wrench in your plans and your productions and such as you just said. Did yeah, we
1: uh we we were actually in the middle of shooting a series in Europe, Croatia to be exact, uh that was it's called Explore the, the World, where our Chinese speaking hosts would uh go and visit, you know, places other than the usual Paris and Rome, which everybody gets to see, uh, looking for these other places. So we were doing uh You know, truffle truffle hunting in Croatia and wine and the coast and all of that. Then we are going to move on to Serbia and then go to Africa and stuff. But we kind of learned of what was going down around middle of January. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to make sure we got all our folks home and safe. So we scuttled that and our folks went back to the U.S. or China or, you know, whichever they were from. And uh, they've been on hold ever since.
0: Wow. um, This this whole year, so many different industries that have been uh, severely affected negatively in production and and entertainment is one, uh, as well as travel, for example, the boards of tourism and all of that, they've really um, been impacted by this. So before COVID, were you spending a lot of time in China?
1: Uh, Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time in China. And then we started, you know this new series called Explore the World. So it was great for me because I got to see places that I wanted to see too. I uh, you know particularly that you know the Balkans and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I, I initially, when I started there, I, I realized that the reason that a lot of Western companies fail there is because we kind of went into China and said, "Okay, here's a show I do it in Australia. You could subtitle it in Mandarin. And I realized that's not going to work. I mean, they're not just three times bigger than us, but they're very proud and stuff. And, you know, it was kind of if you're not going to do stuff in their language, specifically for their people. You are probably in the wrong place. Right. So I realized that in order for me to really learn it, I need to be there. So I took an apartment in Beijing, and I took it in, uh, you know, a totally Chinese area. I didn't go where the expats were. So I, I literally had to live day to day and learn how to go to the dry cleaners and go to a restaurant and you know, do all of that stuff. And, and picked up a little language along the way. And uh, nice. so that was great. I mean, it really helped me understand the mentality of people, particularly young people. And uh, which led, I actually wrote a comedy from China that was on national TV, you know, if you took ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox and put them together, they wouldn't be as big as V eight is in china wow and i wrote a comedy about the contradictions of chinese life uh, which the chinese were amazed that a non- chinese <laughs> person could actually write it and it ran 70 episodes seven zero, and was nominated as uh oh, wow. at the asian tv awards as the best comedy
0: of the year so wow that's fantastic. It's unbelievable. I mean, you go to a country that's unknown and you learn the culture and end up writing such a successful comedy. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jarami. And you're listening to my interview with entertainment mogul and icon, Larry Namer. One of the things that I uh, read about you by someone who said, Larry Namer is helping to make TV, uh, film and TV more representative of US population. And I think you were quoted by saying there's danger in being U.S. centric. I think that's such important work that you're doing is is to finally for someone to take it upon themselves to say, let's have our media, our TV, our, our radio, our online uh, film really look like what America's landscape looks like.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, I, I got into the cable business literally right out of college. It- You know, I was lucky to be in Manhattan, which there was a guy there named Bob Mariano who was kind of the grandfather of public access. And, you you know, I really began to see how smaller voices were totally shut out of the media scene, how all this new technology could enable, you know, softer and softer voices and more diversity. And, you know, when I got into it, it was ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox didn't even exist. Uh, The things that Manhattan Cable was doing was, you know, training people in the community, letting small groups, whether they be women who crochet or, you know, the gay community or anything like that, have a voice in media. And I saw how incredibly effective and important it was. And it's kind of been one of the guiding things in, in my career is, You know, when I look at stuff, and you know, at the beginning when I would think of a project, you'd think of it as very U.S. centric. You know, back in the 70s, if you were going to start a TV network, you'd say, okay, 95% of the revenue will come from the U.S. and 5% will come from other, you know, you didn't even name it by country. But now, you know, when you model these things out, it's really, it's 70% U.S., 30% 30% U.S. and 70% of them. And the other, you know, you're actually going, okay, it's the Latin markets, it's, it's the Indian market, the Chinese market, the, you know, the Western European market. And you realize how important they are. So when you're developing new products, you know, projects, you, you got to A, get the story to be relevant to a wider swath of people. And you can't say that's the match the story that you're trying to tell the, the folks you're trying to tell it to. And you really need to be much more representative of not just the way the US looks today, but the way the world
0: looks. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Um Larry, I'm not even going to bother telling our listeners all the I read it in the intro, but all the accomplishments and all the multitude of companies and networks that you have launched and made super successful. But something else that I want to talk about is how you've given back and you have a connection to a Make-A-Wish Foundation going back to your son Johnny uh, and when he was 15 years old so can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure, I, I've always had this incredible love for kids and stuff like that so in Russia when I started doing stuff there I have a charity that was doing raising money for the orphanage and the Children's Hospital in St. Petersburg but when my son, John, turned 15, he was diagnosed with brain cancer and not given much of a chance of, uh, you know, having a life. Uh, and, you know, as a parent, it just, stop, you stop everything that you're, you're doing and your focus becomes very singular. So I just, you know, was gonna do whatever I needed to do to get my kid better and work through that. And It was years. Uh, of working through it, but you know, Make-A-Wish Foundation, one of the things that really gave Johnny uh, positive inspiration, I mean, he's a 50-year-old boy, that his hair is gone, uh, he can't go out with girls, he's, uh, you know, he had to give up his lacrosse career, and you know, all of this stuff there, uh, went through chemo and radiation and surgeries and stuff, and Make-A-Wish was just as great thing for him to hold on to, you know, and he came up with this idea that he wanted to go to, a, you know, a concert in San Francisco or Metallica and mm-hmm. make a wish, make it happen. They had, you know, they flew him out of uh, Santa Monica Airport and he was with Sean Penn and backstage and it just made him so happy and it gave him hope that there's, a, there's something good in front. So he, he managed to fight his way through it. Went back to playing lacrosse and, you know, now teaches kids. And, and he works with a lot of kids who, who have this same cancer thing that he had. Helps them mm-hmm. kind of understand how he got through and stuff like that. So Make-A-Wish was just wonderful. And, you know, in later life, I got to meet Frank Shankowitz, who started it. And just right. love Frank and all the things that he's done. So, you know, big, big fan.
0: That's fantastic. That's a great story. I'm sure they'll appreciate your shout-out to them. I want to go back to your, you know, what you're doing now and just ask you something that has been on my mind for a while and that is, you know, I remember that's the effect of streaming and just so much content that's available for people that that's not in what used to be called traditional media and what that's done to networks. I mean, I remember back in the 90s when a Friends or Will & Grace or Seinfeld would get 30 million viewers, you know, weekly.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, people say to me, they go, oh, you must feel bad that, uh, you know, the, the entertainment, you know, the TV business has, you know, disappeared. And, you know, I'm going, you know, first of all, I never thought of it as a TV business. I'm a storyteller. Right. And quite honestly... You know, I can tell my stories to people on 65-inch TVs or I can, you know, on 5-inch uh, cell phones. Uh, it, it doesn't make a difference to me how you get my stories, what device you want it on. I totally believe people should have the ability to schedule literally their own networks, which now with digital technology can. I mean, if you want to watch 60 Minutes after Seinfeld, uh, you know, you could do that. and I could watch something different. Yeah, so the world actually gets to a point where everybody picks their own viewing schedules and, you know, what times they want to watch them, or what devices they want to watch them, and I love that. And uh, and we, we program to that mind. And uh, Quite honestly, I don't think television, and, you know, if you watch Netflix on your big screen TV, I still consider that television. You know, people go, oh, that's internet. It's not. It's the same stuff. Uh I don't think it's ever been better. Uh, I can't watch all the good stuff that's on TV. I mean, I watch shows like Ozark and stuff, and I marvel at -hmm. the level of writing and and storytelling that goes into these shows. I watched Hamilton the other night, and it was uh, the best version of a a Broadway play that I've ever seen anywhere. Uh, So again, I think as storytellers and producers of content, the world has never been better. It's wide open. It's more diverse. It's not where it needs to be mm-hmm. in terms of diversity, but I think the technology is opening up at least the opportunities yeah. uh, for people of all sorts to be able to have a voice and to show their level of creativity and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I do agree with you. I think we have, I think it's been called the golden age of television. I think there's more really well done entertainment and much larger volume. But I always wonder if the networks, I'm sure the networks are feeling the heat of losing audiences to Netflix, Amazon, Hulu. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jarami. And you're listening to my interview with entertainment mogul and icon Larry Namer. So my question for you is for someone who has, you know, probably more, you're more of an expert than anyone I can imagine to talk about this. Is there anything that the networks, NBC, ABC, um, CBS, that they're not doing in order to sort of compete, if they can't even compete?
1: Well, I think, you know, again, times have changed and business structures have changed. I mean, if you go back to the 70s, 80s, and you were ABC, NBC, CBS, your network rating was everything. I mean, that's was what drove your entire revenue. But if you look at the landscape today, you know, you say, okay, NBC is really part of Universal. And, you know, they they just came out with their own digital platform. You've got Comcast behind it. So you say cable is dead, but I'm going, you know, but you're not getting NBC or you're not getting your internet unless you have Comcast, stuff like that. So the, the structures of these companies have become much more diverse. Uh, you know, Paramount now has their own digital platform. Uh, ABC is Disney, which now has their own platform. So they've really, you know, it took a while for them to get over the fact that the network was not going to be the center of the universe forever. Uh, but I think they've gotten to that point now and they begun to diversify and, you know, just come to realize that the network is not the, you know, it's not the only thing, it's part of the solution for them.
0: If that makes sense. That actually sort of really puts it in perspective. Is there anything from your vantage points, anything new that's coming up that the masses are not aware of yet? A trend perhaps or technology?
1: Well, I think you know, you look at uh, I, I love the trend towards streaming video, uh, live streaming, uh, and I think there's you know amazing potential there. We're working on a big music project for Asia uh, because artists are not able to perform uh, in concert halls or festivals, uh, but yet they still would like to earn a living uh, the live streaming concerts in Asia at very low cost. You know, uh, I'm talking like five dollars to watch, uh, you know, a major act kind of thing, but you make it up in volume. Right. And so like, live streaming, I think virtual reality is a huge way to go, I think technology is getting there. I don't think it's there yet. And then the one that I'm really looking at very heavily is holograms. Mm -hmm. I think the technology is miraculous. and It may not start in the entertainment world. I think in the the education world, I mean, just picture if you could take Albert Einstein and have him deliver the lecture on the theory of relativity and you could (laughs) beam Albert into universities around the world that he can speak whatever language in the country he's in and you know gives you the ability to take the best teachers of any subject whether they be living or even dead if you have any of them and have the best teachers teach you know kids that give everybody you know kid in africa would be on equal footing with the kid you know chicago
0: wow, I would have never expected you to say Hologram. That's such an interesting thing to think about. I know that you also have you have announced a, a new show, which is actually it's a film called Empress uh, that you're executive producing, which is, I believe, about an empress in China or the empress of China.
1: Yeah, there, uh, when I started doing stuff there, I learned that uh, there was actually a woman who ruled China. And even to this day... Most people consider it the, the most prosperous, uh, advanced era in Chinese history. And uh, mm. so I started doing a bunch of research on her. And it really, you know, there was this common theme. While she is this great historical figure, kind of, you know, towards Washington of China, she was really a woman struggling to make it a male-dominated society, which I thought was a very timely, but right. uh, it's a global theme. And so I found a book uh, written by a Western woman in English, and we bought the rights to make a film out of the book, and we, I wanted it to be, uh, I said, if I do this movie in, in Mandarin, you know, maybe 1% of people will come watch a subtitled movie, but if I do it in English using American-born Chinese and Canadian-born Chinese, mm-hmm. uh, people might actually you know, flock to the movie theater if it's a good movie and so I wanted Ron Bass to write the screenplay Ron won the Academy Award for Rape Man and he co-wrote Joy Luck Club and probably got 50 theatrical film credits at this point and uh, so, you know, he wrote this very beautiful story and when I told people about it, you know, going back two years, three, almost three years, people said, oh Larry, it's a very nice idea but you can't do a movie with all Asian actors it'll never sell. And, you know, I was frustrated by that. And then Crazy Rich Asians came out. And everybody right. started calling back and going, you know that script you told us about, you know, <laughs> two years ago? Uh, you know, you want to come in and talk about that? So, you know, we got a tremendous traction on it now, and uh, unfortunately you know, we were ready to start casting it, but the, the virus pandemic came in. So we had to put that on hold, but we'll pick it up as soon as it finishes, and it's just, it's a great story. Like I say, it's really more about this woman and her struggle in, you know, very male-dominated society and what she went through to rise to power and, and all the things she did. So that's, wow. uh, looking very positive on that
0: one. Well, that's definitely something to look forward to. It sounds like a good feminist story, a multicultural and uh, intersectional story. Yeah. And last thing I want to ask you: your last of your projects I want to cover is uh, the TV series, Nova Vida.
1: Yeah, we, uh, Marty and I, you know, Marty's like partner with G. Chalk in Natan, uh, in and mm-hmm. we got involved uh, with a group that actually owns the Armenian TV station here in the U.S. They used to own the Armenian TV station in Armenia, and they sold it, to get to the U.S., and opened up an Armenian media company in L.A. in particular, Glendale is, Mm-hmm. got a huge, huge media population. And they had facilities and they had workers and all that. So together we we went through and they really came up with it. Marty and I helped refine it, uh, and we're executive producers on it. Uh, this really great story. It's, you know, a very modern story about, you know, people who were involved in some criminal activity of centering around cryptocurrency, digital currencies and they run afoul of the wrong people and they got to go in hiding and they, they go to this island where their facial identities and their memories and everything are changed and uh, Dova Vita meets new life uh, and they're given new life but then of course the FBI kind of catches on that there's something wrong here and uh, stuff like that so we, we shot 10 episodes and we were going to take it out probably sometime in the fall but then when the pandemic came and all production got put on hold all the digital networks are looking for new series so we kind of hurried up and we did the post-production and got it ready and uh now the sales company has taken it out to uh tv networks and digital platforms around the world and Hopefully everybody loves it. and We get to do a season two.
0: Fantastic! It's another great show to watch. Um, there's no shortage of it, especially from from you, uh, Larry. Before um, we, before we leave, is there anything you'd like to add that I didn't cover, perhaps?
1: No, no. I think you know. I think we covered a lot of ground there, and uh, always available to come back. I ain't going anywhere.
0: Well, I and I appreciate that, and I'm sure Make A Wish Foundation does. Thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic, Larry. Thank you.
1: Okay, take care now. Bye.
0: Bye-bye. That was entertainment mogul and renaissance man Larry Namer of Metton Global Entertainment Group. Thanks for your time, Larry. The Blunt Post with Vic. Today, I have three quotes for you from Congressman John Lewis. The first one he said to those who have said be patient and wait, we have long said that we cannot be patient. We do not want our freedom gradually, but we want to be free now. We are tired. We are tired of being beaten by policemen. We're tired of seeing our people locked up in jail over and over again. His second quote is, freedom is not a state, it is an act. It is not some enchanted garden perched high on a distant plateau where we can finally sit down and rest. Freedom is the continuous action we must all take and each generation must do its part to create an even more fair, more just society. And the last quote, which is my favorite, he said, When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to speak up, you have to do something. Thank you, Congressman John Lewis. Before we go, I want to thank my extremely talented producer, Ricky Herrera. And, uh, of course, thank you for joining me for another episode of The Blunt Post with Vic. Please tune in next Monday at 7 a.m. for another episode. For more information, you can visit thebluntpostwithvic.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jorami, both Instagram and Twitter. My handle is at Vic Jorami. That's V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. The Blunt Post with Vic.